This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Hello, I'm James Tu, Senior Director of Content and Communications at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to Faculty Focus. This podcast features interviews with Trine University faculty members about their current research and their insights on issues impacting us all today. My guest today is Andy Brown, Assistant Professor in Trine University's Department of Humanities and Communication. Andy teaches sports broadcasting, effective speaking, public relations writing and production, and advanced writing for the media at Trine. He also provides play-by-play for sporting events on the Trine Broadcasting Network and is part of the University's Center for Sports Studies. Prior to coming to Trine, Andy provided broadcast coverage of Hillsdale College Sports for 20 years, in addition to serving as a teacher at Camden Frontier High School. He also hosted Time Out with Andy Brown, a weekly sports talk show on WCSR Radio. Thank you, Andy, for joining me today. James, thank you. It's good to be here. First off, why did you initially get involved in sports broadcasting? It was something I always wanted to do. I grew up with the Detroit Tigers when I was 10. Uh, it was 1984. And the Tigers started out that season 35-5 and uh, with Alan Trammell and Kirk Gibson and Lance Parrish. And I fell in love with that team. And uh, where we lived in rural southern Michigan, there was no way to watch the games on TV. Uh, so I gravitated to a little radio that we had and got to listen to Ernie Harwell and Paul Carey uh, spell out that dream summer and just hear those great storytellers inspired me. And I knew I wanted to do something with sports. It turned out I wasn't a great athlete, uh, but I was okay at talking. And uh, so thanks to the great Ernie Harwell and, and some of those others like George Blaha, I knew that maybe that would be a way that I could pursue sports if I wasn't going to be able to play. All right. I'm going to test my memory here a bit because I grew up in Flint, Michigan, and I remember the 84 Tigers as well. That was WJR radio, wasn't WJR, it? WJR, the great voice of the Great Lakes. Yeah, That's right. So, yeah. And, and I remember that I think everybody in Michigan remembers that team very mm-hmm. well. So that was those guys had one in, once in a lifetime seasons that mm-hmm. year, and that was that was something special. So once you had that kind of initial interest listening to Ernie Harwell, then where did you uh, go with it from there? We have a local radio station in Hillsdale, uh, WCSR, and so they do local high school and college sports there. And so when I was a, a junior in high school. Uh, and then into my senior year, I applied there, and uh, they rejected me a few times, and I just kept applying. <laughs> and then uh, eventually, I got a job in Adrian at 103.9, which was kind of a community service radio similar to WCSR, and started doing a country music show, and uh, later did some sports production for them. And then about that time, I started doing Hillsdale College football on closed circuit TV in Hillsdale. So the the games were broadcast on our local cable channel, low-budget broadcast. And then I started to do basketball, and then WCSR hired me, uh, the local station in Hillsdale. So that was my college job from my sophomore year on. Uh, I was working at that local station and then calling sports for closed-circuit TV. And I was also getting a teaching degree at that time, and I couldn't really figure out what I wanted to do. And so I was fortunate the teaching career gave me the flexibility time-wise to continue broadcasting. So from that standpoint, it worked out pretty well. 
did you ever think you would, I mean, I'm sure when you were, again, the 10-year-old listening to Ernie Hardwell, sure. you're like, I'm going to be on, you know, WJR someday or whatever. Point. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I, you know, I wanted to be the voice of the Tigers or the Pistons. And I still think about that sometime. And I, I, I didn't have particular connections. You have to be the best of the best to get those jobs. And uh, once I started to have my family, you know, it's just like the old saying goes, I was enjoying what I was doing with the local sports and teaching, and I started coaching football. So I never really took that shot <laughs> at the big time, so to speak. Uh, but I, I think I'm pretty happy with how it's turned out so far. Again, no, noting my background also as a Michigan sports fan, I noticed you said the Tigers and the Pistons. Mm-hmm. You did not say the Lions, probably for good reason. You know, um, James, I love Mark Champion. Mark Champion was the voice of the Lions on uh, the radio for a long time. I I would love to do the Lions as well. I think baseball in particular is a great radio sport. Mm-hmm. You can be mowing the lawn. You can be working in the yard and just have the game on, and it's a great soundtrack to your summer. I don't think that the audience for radio has the same connection. for the, You know, in the NFL, you want to watch it on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to sit there and listen to it on the radio necessarily. So... Uh, to me, the romance job is the baseball, you know, just the 162 games, the full summer, uh, the pace of baseball, just so well suited for the radio. That was always my first idea. Now, you want to get talking about television? Yeah, I'd do the Lions. Mm-hmm. We'd be fine with it. But yeah, the Lions are horrible. Yeah. <laughs> if that's what you're getting at. That was yeah, totally yeah, I what gotcha. I was getting at. Yeah. So since you began uh, back with WCSR, what are some of the biggest changes you've noticed, even in, in you know, obviously a smaller market, mm-hmm. in how a sports broadcast is put together? The storytelling is similar. You want to be able to tell a story. So what's at stake? How are these teams connected? What is the history between the two teams? So that storytelling piece is different. For me, I've grown a lot as a broadcaster. I remember when I was young, if the Chargers would get a three-yard carry, I would act like we just won the Super Bowl, like it was just total enthusiasm all the time. And so just learning how to pace the game and to really accentuate the really important moments instead of getting fired up about every single thing. Of course, the technology is much different. My little radio station in Hillsdale hasn't changed that much because we're a bit behind the times, but coming to Trine now, and seeing what Josh is working with and Colin over here, it's exciting to see all of the possibilities. You mentioned about you know getting all excited and uh, Fred in- Inninger, uh, who's a gentleman I worked with, he's a personality down at WAWK, a radio station in Kendallville, um, is just something to listen to on there because he is fired up about everything <laughs> and you get to the end of the game and you can't even understand what he's saying. <laughs> of course, Fred was a former coach for East sure. Noble, so he's very invested in that. But I mean, just yeah, the, the, the that energy level can be. I think a lot of people enjoy it, but it can also, like I said, get a little hard to listen to mm-hmm. in the long. I think haul. guys like that too, though, are it's coming from a genuine place. Like it's just sincere enthusiasm and excitement, and. That can be fun, too. Everybody has a little different style, and there are different ways to have a great broadcast. And so I love those great announcers with the enthusiasm, too. It's, it's, it's real. It's exciting. The advent of the World Wide Web, mm-hmm. um, accessing news easily on the Internet, had a devastating effect on media, particularly 
the newspaper industry, which is where I come out of. So, I, you know, I've witnessed a lot of that with uh, former friends and colleagues. Um, I know a key part of what you're doing with your students is producing podcasts. What impact do you think podcasting, the explosion of it, is having on radio, the radio industry? It's a great question. You know, I was the kid at Hillsdale College that would buy the Detroit Free Press at the cafeteria for 25 or 50 cents every day. And then um, by 1997, we started to be able to read the free press online, which for me was a bargain. I didn't have to pay the 50 cents anymore. Um, And we didn't know then what we know now, which is what it would mean to journalism. So many jobs lost, so much less coverage than we used to have. Uh, For podcasts, it gives everybody a platform. So the, the nice thing about the internet is that everybody has a voice. Everybody has an opportunity uh, to have a platform. Um, what we try to do at Trine is to make that valuable. Um, how, how can we use that platform for good or something substantive or, or um, uh, worthwhile? And so we have students who cover a lot of different topics. It's not just sports. Uh, John Kay is one of our kids who does a great sports podcast. Um, but we have kids talking about pop culture. We have kids podcasting about cooking. Um, so there are a lot of different things that we can talk about, but how do we elevate the medium? How do we do it in a way that we can feel good about? Um, those are all challenges that we face. It's hard to stand out now. Uh, there, are, there are so many podcasts, and a lot of them get lost in the shuffle. So we talk about just quality and thinking about something that we would like to listen to something that would be interesting to us. And then if we can get an audience, so much the better. There are a lot of good podcasts sure. out there, obviously. Yeah. And, you know, if somebody's getting downloaded, you know, hundreds of thousands of times, that means people are listening to that rather than listening to, you know, WCSR yeah, or, or another radio station. Do you see that really having an impact on those? Our, our station has not felt a major impact yet. Um, we have, uh, local news and local weather, which is, you know, you can't get that on a podcast. You know, I do think with the Sirius XM radio and some of the other outlets for people driving in a car, um, you know, people listening to their phones, whether it be music or podcasts, it certainly makes a difference, which begs the question, what is the future of radio look like, you know, even down the road? And I can't answer that question. I, I don't know. I, I love radio. It's my first love. Um, I'd like to think that it'll be around forever. But there's so much competition in the media space in every sector now that it will be fascinating over the years to see what survives. You kind of mentioned, you know, again, the fact that, you know, with your students, they can go out and create podcasts that are related to their interests. And, you know, I mean, there are podcasts out there on everything. Mm -hmm. There's also podcasts representing any variety of different views. And we have a society right now that is also very divided in terms of, uh, so what kind of effect do you think that has that, you know, maybe, you know, that I can find uh, podcasts that really just kind of reflect my own uh, beliefs? It's a great question and a very relevant one for today, James. And we do feel good when we get our beliefs validated. And so um, you see this a lot. Uh, with the 
and different availabilities in news coverage and the different availabilities in podcasts. People can watch things that um, don't necessarily challenge their viewpoints, but really just validate the way that they already feel. I'm not here to tell people what to listen to. Um, you know, people can listen to whatever they want. You know, you'd love there to be a popular podcast that could arise that could challenge the way that people see things on both sides of the political spectrum and uh, maybe make people reconsider, you know, whether it's smart as a society or as a country to be so bitterly divided on every little thing. It almost feels like we have two countries sometimes. And um, what we've seen in 2020, James, is, is, well, it's alarming to me. I like to think that we're all Americans at the end of the day and we have some differences, sure, but ultimately we're all members of the same country and, geez, we're all human beings after all around the world. But it is a bitterly divided time. The podcast can nurture some of that if you just plug into certain ones that confirm the way that you already think. And I think that's a concern. And the answer or how we overcome that, I, I don't have the answer. I, I think there are a lot of people of goodwill on both sides, and you hope that those people can help us to find common ground. But sometimes that common ground is hard to see right now. And how do you deal even with maybe issues of you know misinformation? I mean, right now mm -hmm. I know that's big on social media platforms, sure. you know, Facebook or Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, have gotten a lot of attention for that. Is that are there those same sort of fact checked safeguards on podcasting platforms, or is it pretty much a free for all? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, I think people have a lot of freedom. You could self publish a podcast. Um, you're not going to have any verification of that. Now, platforms might be able to take it down if it became popular and destructive. Um, but a lot of podcasts kind of fly under the radar, and it might have a cult following that the tech giants won't necessarily know about, but could do a lot of good or a lot of harm. So I like personal responsibility. I like to think that people want to do the right thing, but also let's face it. There are some folks out that are sowing division. You, you already pointed that out. So, you know, be careful what you listen to all the time. I, I do think if you just immerse yourself in one particular ideology all the time, it becomes harder to see the other sides of issues and you start to imagine that there is no other side and, and there always is there, there's, there are always different perspectives that deserve respect. And that's what I'd like to see us get back to. Now, is there any kind of, um, I'm not sure exactly what you'd call it, but like, I know with, even with students here, when they come into trying, they, they kind of get some introductory training into what is a good, you know, what's a good source on the internet? Mm -hmm. who, who should you be drawing from, you know, particularly in writing for academic papers? But are there any rules of thumb like that for podcasts in terms of what's a reliable or an unreliable podcast? Yeah, that's a good point. I think you go on Spotify and you find a pod podcast of something that you're interested in and the barbiter will be whether you like it. Okay. You know, I, I don't know, unless you Googled the podcast and tried to get commentary about it, there's no rating system. There's no reliability standard. Um, if it's on the Apple store or the podcast center on, on Spotify or wherever, and you search a particular topic and find that, um, it could be hard to separate some of the truth from the false. And, and again, it gets back to, you know, personal responsibility and, and understanding that it's good to get different viewpoints. And it, but I don't think there's a particularly strong safety net 
um, helping people to know the difference between a reliable source and maybe something less so. Looking kind of back at sports casting, there's been a lot of cases where, you know, high profile sports personalities have been fired because they say something they shouldn't have on air or they tweet something out or just something that happens outside of their work. Do you think it's harder to be a sportscaster than it used to be? That's an interesting question. Um, I think by 2021, people need to know that the microphone is always hot and it's always on and you have to be disciplined to comport yourself in a way that is not going to get you fired. And to the, the guys that have failed at that, you, your heart goes out with out to them. You know, Tom Brenneman has a 40-year career as a highly regarded sportscaster, and a three-second comment, he says that he thinks he's off the air, and he loses it all. His career is over, and he'll never work again for the NFL or the Major League Baseball leagues. So it's tough. It's rough out there. You need to be extremely disciplined um, with social media. You know, think before you tweet, uh, put the Twitter down, um, you know, from a professional standpoint, this is not the time to take chances um, or to be provocative politically because you're always running a risk. Now, some people would say, well, I have a responsibility to talk about what I believe politically, and that's everybody's choice. Um, so everybody's got to navigate themselves that way. And, and from that standpoint, it's way more difficult now. Uh, I don't think that Al Michaels felt that pressure early in his career uh, when he was working for the Cincinnati Reds or the, the Dodgers. Uh, but now it's a reality for all of us that we have to be careful. We've got to be mindful of what we do and what we say and how we use social media all the time. One slip up and it could all be over. So you have to be mindful all the time. Do you think it's fair to hold these personalities to that kind of a standard, which, you know, again, seems maybe a higher standard than the average person would be held to? You know, you have to understand the day and age that we live in and be mindful of your responsibility within our current cultural setup. The idea that we should get really upset about what some guy calling a baseball game says, uh, some people might think, well, we're, we're being a little bit tough on these guys. Um, some of these people are on the air their entire lives, multiple hours a day. And at some point you're going to say something <laughs> or you may trip up and say something that somebody could construe as offensive. Um, but I think you just want to be smart. I, I, I do think that you're blessed to have these. These are very competitive positions. They're very hard to get. If you're not there, you will be replaced by one of a thousand other people that are just as talented as you are. If you want to have that position, you do have to hold that standard now in the world that we live in, and you have to be smart. And if you're not, there are a lot of people that will take that spot. So is it fair? It's just reality, James. It, it is what it is. It, it is the way that it is right now. Do you think in the same vein that it's harder to be an athlete um, and yeah. kind of looking back like, you know, somebody like Ty Cobb, mm -hmm. who by all accounts was really not a very nice person off the field. Yeah, he would have been canceled um, today um, and probably rightly so. It's it cuts both ways. You know, those guys in Ty Cobb's time traveled by bus. They didn't have the the rest. They didn't have the incredible 
um, knowledge medically that we have now in order to keep them fresh and rested and exercise properly and all the rest of it. So the modern athlete has a lot of advantages that athletes of previous generations did not have. The social media aspect is a blessing and a curse. I think somebody like LeBron James would say it's a blessing. Um, he's marshaled that for his own career and has used that for positive, in his view, positive um, messages throughout his career. And it's also really hurt a lot of people, you know. Um, so is it harder or, or easier now? A little bit of both. Some aspects are much better. Uh, I think Ty Cobb would have liked a personal jet to take him to the games. He didn't have that. You know, he didn't have a lot of the, the benefits that those athletes have today. The social media is tough, and you have to be mindful of it. It's something that Ty Cobb didn't have to worry about. And from a cultural standpoint for Ty Cobb, that worked out well for him. Um, certainly nobody like him would be abided in today's culture So, or anybody who espoused some of the things that he did. For years, it seems like the line between types of media has been blurring. Um, you have newspapers that'll put video on Good their point. websites, or you have print journalists who do podcasts. You have radio or TV stations that'll do long-form stories on their websites. How much do you think this trend is going to continue? Are we going to get to a point where it's you know kind of just one outlet doing all different sorts of media? What a great question. Yeah, uh, I follow the Detroit papers, and they always have digital content now. Um, after a game, they'll do a little video where they break the game down in addition to their column. I think there's a fear that people you know, my son's age are not going to read newspaper columns, but they might watch a three-minute clip, and maybe you could monetize that or do some advertising with it. So I think these newspapers are trying to see the writing on the wall and stay relevant however they can. Um, you know, somebody my age, I used to read Sports Illustrated. I didn't just look at the photos. I read the great writing and the great articles. Um, and, um, you know, my sons don't do that now. They like sports, but they're, they're going to look at a tweet or a Snapchat post. They're not going to uh, sit there and read an article for seven or eight minutes. So the way that people consume media is different. We'll get to a place where it's all just one big mega stream. That's a great way to look at it. it. It could. It seems like we're blending everything together in that way. Um, I still love, and maybe it's a romantic idea, but I still like to think that the great talents still have a voice. The I, I love Ian Eagle. I think he's one of the best people in sports media today. Um, the great writers, um, you know, the people on. I love Kornheiser and Wilbon on PTI on ESPN. I, I still think there's a place for tremendous, tremendously talented people to have a voice. What that looks like, though, going forward, is anybody's guess. We're, we are changing rapidly. What impact do you think the advent of streaming services and sports programming on those outlets is going to have? Yeah, I just saw that um, Amazon Prime got the rights to Thursday Night Football for the NFL going forward. So you'll have to have an Amazon Prime subscription to watch Thursday Night Football. That won't be a problem for me unless the lions appear on it, and then I'll have to figure out a way to get it. Um, it's all changing. You know, the, the idea of the uh, major networks, we're so fragmented now. You have a million streaming services. You have hundreds of cable channels. Um, you know, baseball's ratings have never been lower uh, because people don't want to sit there and watch a four-hour game when they have a million other things they could watch. The kids don't watch anything on TV. They just look at their phone. 
a TikTok video is 10 seconds, James. That's all they have time for. Now, they could watch six hours of 10-second videos, but they can't watch a two-hour movie or a four-hour ball game. You know, they say they wouldn't have the attention span for that. So, um, yeah, I think that it's going to continue to change. You'll see outfits like uh, the streaming services get more of the rights to sports. But it's all the same thing now. Like my TV at home, the Amazon Prime is just like another channel on my TV. And to me, there's almost no difference. Um, What are some other trends you see with media in general and with uh, sports media in particular? I think just the the fragmenting everything into highlights. Like instead of sitting there and watching a two and a half hour NBA game, I can get up in the morning and watch a three minute recap. Um, and it's the best three minutes. And some of these NBA games are tedious. You know, for instance, in the NBA you have now, every single play is being replayed and the officials are looking at it on a replay for hours. Let's just play the games, guys. At some point, can we play the game? Um, it's just tedious to watch that stuff. In an NBA game, you really only need to watch the last few minutes. And if I can get that in the morning on a replay and do something else with my time, um, and I love sports. And, you know, I'm somebody that enjoys the passion and the, the drama of a game. Um, a baseball game, James, my kids wouldn't watch a baseball game for a salary. Like I, I would have to literally coerce them to sit there and watch a baseball game at this point. When I was a kid, when I was their age, if there was a Tiger game on, I would kill to watch it. So sports on TV is interesting. They, they still keep getting these massive deals from these networks, but the ratings are going down. Uh, I, I don't know where the money's coming from or the support for these huge contracts when the ratings are going down for these games. That's why at Trine on the network, we make our content punchy. We do two-minute replays of the games on Twitter. Our kids are learning how to cut up content, make it punchy and fun and interesting. It's just, we have to. That's the way that it's going. Shorter clips, dynamic presentations. And so our kids have to be able to compete in that space. And that's what we're trying to do. My oldest son is really into NASCAR. And he will sit there and watch, you know, again, the entire race, which is a lot of just driving around until something big happens. And, and usually the big part is, you know, again, the last few laps. Do you think there's enough of those sports fans around that they'll be able to support it? Or is that know. breed dying out? I don't know. You know, your guess there is as good as mine. Um, my high school, when I taught high school, my students did not watch sports. Um, they didn't watch TV, um, a lot of them. Some of them would still watch the NBA a little bit, but even when kids are watching movies or TV now, they're looking at their phones while they do that. So the phone has become the thing. And all of the big major sports have tried to do that with Snapchat channels and Instagram feeds and to try to capture the attention of these kids. And maybe there's a chance there to do it. Uh, to expect somebody who was born in the 2000s to sit there and watch a four and a half hour major league baseball game with 64 pitching changes and 14 trips to the mound. A lot of these kids don't see the nuances in the game that I grew up with and that you grew up with, the strategy, you know, the, the simple joy of there being no clock in baseball, you know, just the, the three outs per inning and the pace of it all. Something that I fell in love with when I was young. Our kids, my kids fell in love with other things and, and it wasn't the same. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know how Major League Baseball sees itself in the future. That's the one to me. 
that I really wonder about. Like, how do they see this playing out over the next 20 years? As people get older, do they start to get interested in baseball more? Maybe. That, that's the one that I have the most questions about. If football is still certainly very popular, um, basketball to a little bit lesser degree, but so much more so than baseball. I'm not sure what the hockey ratings are, but I expect they're not real high right now. And that was a weird thing, James, just a little bit of a diversion. But the, the pandemic, I thought when the sports came back, like the NBA came back in the bubble, I thought that the ratings would be record-breaking at that point just because we were so starved for television at that point, and the ratings were quite low. So does that mean that people moved on during that time and didn't care anymore? What? Why were the ratings so low when the NBA came back? That's a great question that I don't have an answer to. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. But I, I think for me, I enjoy sitting down and watching a Piston game or a Tiger game. All of the Detroit sports teams are horrible right now, and yet I'm still watching them, so there's something wrong with me, I think. <laughs> Obviously, live casting, trying sports is mm-hmm. something that's only happened in the last couple of mm-hmm. years. You know, Do you think that play – I mean, obviously, we're not taking huge ratings away from the Tigers or, sure. or the Lions, but even the fact that there is so much more out there – you know, the, you know, high school, Absolutely. you know, you can, you can watch high school games, you can watch D3, D2 college games that Great you couldn't point. even just a few years ago. Is that also having an impact? Yeah. I mean, you know, again, when I was a kid, you had three channels, you know, so the ratings are going to be higher <laughs> because yeah. people only had those three options. We have a million options now. Uh, the Trine Network is extremely popular. We have the best uh, stream in the MIAA conference, thanks to Josh Hornbacher. Um, and we're very proud of our students that are broadcasting with us. And the great thing is that even though we were disappointed that parents and fans couldn't come to these basketball games this spring and winter, uh, we've had solid viewership. Uh, we've been able to bring the games to people when they couldn't get into the gym. And a lot of this is parents and family and friends, and that's fine. Uh, that's a big responsibility. We want to do the best broadcast we can for those people. So there's a place for all of it. It all does get thinned out just by the fact that there are so many options. It's almost like there are too many options sometimes <laughs> to really culturally get around something. Um, but that's not going to change anytime soon. I just see more and more things coming down the line. Um, kind of going back to your c- career, what are some of your favorite memories as a sports broadcaster? The biggest memory was um, a Hillsdale College football game against Grand Valley State. Uh, we hadn't beat Grand Valley in, I think, 12 years. And uh, we beat them one Saturday afternoon at Frank Muddy Waters Stadium. I got to call the Chargers beating Grand Valley, which was a huge deal for my town and my college back then. It was a euphoric moment, an exciting game. And it's the kind of moment that, you know, it was captured on YouTube and people could go back and watch it and just share the excitement. So that was, for me personally, that was a really big one. The other one I would say, when I was still in college, my senior year of college, I broadcast a uh, Pony League All-Star game in Hillsdale County. Two pretty good All-Star teams from Hillsdale County at that time. And that's where I met my wife. Um, She saw this college kid broadcasting this baseball game. And I think she was there to watch a family member or something. And, um, we actually had a date later that night cause I 
kind of got introduced to her during the game. And we've been together ever since then. So those two, the Grand Valley game and the Pony League All-Star game where I met my wife, those have been the two highlights. And since I've been at Trine, James, it's only been a couple years. But getting to watch uh, somebody like Simeon Washington, uh, who is a fantastic playmaker, um, the plays that Marcus Winters made last year in basketball, such a clutch performer, getting to watch Langston Johnson and now Kelsey Taylor and Shea Herbert, you know, the, the great Katie Steers last year in basketball. I mean, there have been so many great moments just in one year at Trine. And now you look at this, this undefeated season for the men, what a thrill. It, it has been so exciting. And the only bummer, and I keep coming back to this, but it is a gosh darn shame that our community here in Angola and college-wide could not be able to go to MTI and watch this men's and women's teams because they're fantastic they're really easy to root for. As a broadcaster, it's been a blessing. I, I've just had so much fun getting to know these kids. And I have some of these kids in class. I get to really know them. Uh, we get to do interview features with them. So for me, just getting plugged into the Trine community and, and covering these great teams has been fantastic. Kind of looking at your students, um, I, I, I wrote the question up as anyone can do a podcast. I was going to be a little self-deprecating and say any idiot can do a, a podcast and I'm living proof of it right now, but, but obviously not everyone can make a living at it. Right. Um, so when you have students who are aspiring to be broadcasters or sports broadcasters, how can they go out and make a career of it, make a living of it, you know, with all this market fragmentation that we've been talking yep. about in my broadcasting class, we just talk about being, incredibly stubborn and uh, it, the only way that you can make it is to have tremendous connections tremendous talent and just the sheer unwillingness to give up you have to have those three things so fostering connections getting to know people in the industry being willing to work at a job that you might think is beneath you but might get you into other things down the road Meeting as many people as you can, making those connections is so important. We were blessed last year to have the uh, president of the Mad Ants uh, minor league basketball team come on campus, and a lot of my broadcast students got to meet him, and he was gracious with his contact information. So any opportunity like that is so important just to make those networking connections. And then you have to be super talented. Uh, this is an incredibly competitive industry. Only the best of the best are going to really be able to make a living doing sports broadcasting. So you have to have the talent. And then the third thing is you have to be willing to keep knocking on doors. Uh, you're going to get rejected in this business. You're going to lose gigs that you wanted to other talented people. As long as you are just steadfastly willing to keep fighting and keep following and keep pursuing, you're going to have a chance if you have the talent and you have the connections. Yeah, and I think that was Tim Bauman, wasn't it? Yeah, was the, oh yeah, exactly. The, the, the head of the Mad Ants uh, speaking at the, the Center for Sports Studies, and I remember him talking a lot about making those connections. It, it, it's the way that it is. And, um, you know, a couple of my students were a little hesitant to go talk to him. They were kind of shy about it. And we just said, this is, if this is what you really want to do, you have to get over that. You have to be willing to introduce yourself and put yourself out there. And I, th I think most of them understood that. Once again, I'd like to thank Professor Andy Brown for joining me today for Faculty Focus. Be sure to check back for new episodes as Trine faculty members talk about their research interests and the issues of the day. 
Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.